Hello, I'm Pastor Phil Mentor. I'm the lead pastor of Harvest Worship Center. On behalf of myself and our congregation at Harvest Worship Center, we would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. This is a podcast of our Sunday morning celebrations that take place every week at 10.30 a.m. We would like to invite you to come and join us in person sometime. We are located at 456 4th Street in Tryon, Georgia. We now pray that you are blessed by the Word of God today. Thank you again, and we hope you will enjoy this week's message. If you would like more information about Harvest, please visit us on Facebook and Instagram or at our website at tryonhwc.com. I believe in the healing power of the Lord. Amen. Now we're going to switch gears for just a second, and I need your prayers. Um, Who has a cell phone? Liars. Who's got a cell phone with them? Okay. Uh, Take it out. Okay. When you get your cell phone out, take it out. Turn your camera on. Reverse your camera so don't act like you don't know how to do that. (laughs) Now, hold your camera up and everybody take a selfie. (laughs) Okay. One selfie. Okay. One selfie. All right. (laughs) What does that got? Now, put your phone up and silence it. If I hear a phone go off, I will call you out. You told me I couldn't know I said pull it out and put it up. Amen. Amen. Who's ready to hear some, something from the Word today? Amen. There's a purpose behind that. 93 million or 98 million selfies are taken every single year. 98 million. 18 to 24-year-olds, every third photo they take is of themselves. Oh, that's not true. Well, argue with psychology today if you don't like that. Every third photo. We are are a society obsessed with self-focus. We're a society that is addicted to self. And though we may not like ourselves in many ways, we may not like, maybe we look in the mirror and we say, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too this, I'm too that. We still are a society that is obsessed with self. And today I want to talk to you about how to be focused in a selfie world. How to be focused on God when everything in this world cries out, be focused on yourself. And the reason a lot of people can't find deliverance in their lives today is because they're so consumed with their own problems. They're so consumed with their selves. And God is wanting to set us free from self-focus. The universe does not revolve around us. Jesus had a right to say that, but he never did. His concern was never, ever himself. It was those who he came to die for. And you say, yeah, that was Jesus, but he told us to do what? To carry on the same mission, the same purpose. And I'm going to tell you, if you have been saved from your sins, God has washed you clean of yourself. 
so that you could become selfless like he did. The Bible says he was selfless, not considering himself. He went to the cross to die for us. He didn't consider his, his, own, his own pain, his own hurt, what it was going to cost him. He went forward and he died for you and he died for me and he calls the church to the same focus, a focus not on ourselves but a focus on the world and the needs of this world and those around us. Now, here are 15 things of a self-focused person. Some may apply, some may not. Uh, and I'll give you the key to this in a minute, but this is pretty cool too. But I felt like sharing this with you. No one likes self-absorbed person. Do you like a self-absorbed person? Come on, anybody? You know, no one likes someone that is so about themselves. Self-absorbed people do not portray, they do portray a certain pattern uh, to, uh, in their behavior. And I'm going to share 15 signs of self-absorbed people. Number one, they are always on the defense. In other words, they do not see the world from another person's point of view. They would rather see it from their own and they protect their flaws and their image with, uh, with everyone else. In other words, it's all about me. Number two, they don't see the big picture. A self-absorbed person thinks the world is just about them. Thus, the world, from their point of view, is a place of comp uh, compromising itself for them. In other words, the world has to make room for me because I'm not going to, to, to you know, it's about me. Number three, they're imposing. They frequently use words such as I or I must or they love to tell what their story is instead of listening to others. In other words, um, sometimes, have you ever been in testimony? Anybody remember testimony services? Okay, I hate testimony services. Really? Because sometimes they're not testimony services, they're top of trial. Today we're going to play the wonderful game show in church called Top of Trial. Y'all pray for me. I've been going through a lot. I had a flat tire the other day, and, and uh, you know, I, I just didn't feel good, and I was on my way to work. And, and so y'all just remember me in your prayers because the devil's really been after me. And then somebody else stands up and like, almost, they don't say it, but they're almost going to go, that's nothing. Man, today my dog got run over, and I was the one that did it while I had the flat tire. I love that dog. It's late to work. Have you ever been in those situations where a testimony service is almost about giving more glory to self-suffering and the devil than it is glorifying what Jesus is doing in my life? I'm going to tell you the most greatest, the greatest testimony I used to hear, and it's the shortest one. I want to thank the Lord for saving me, sanctifying me, and filling me with the Holy Ghost and making me a part of His family. I want to thank God for that, and, I, and just pray for me. Isn't that an awesome testimony? Man, I wish if they were all like that, we'd be all right. But they want to impose their own will. Number four, they feel insecure all the time. In other words, they are never confident in themselves. They're always insecure, and they try to cover this in many different ways. Number, number five, that was number four. Number five is they always think that they are superior to others. And, and you say, no, I don't feel that way. In other words, they are in their own self-image. They feel like, you know what? That person may be uh, facing a few things, but it's nothing what I'm, like I'm facing. Again, top of trial. Number six, they consider friendship a tool of getting what they want instead of blessing someone else. Come on, this is out of Christianity today. 
They are extremely opinionated. They love to share their opinion and they will run over others' opinions in order to share it. In other words, this might take the view off of someone else and point to them. They do not have a long-lasting relationships. Their relationships don't last very long. They burn bridges very quickly. They do not have a real sense of empathy. What is empathy? It is placing myself in that particular situation, how I would react, how I would feel. I empathize with that person. Listen, a a person who is self-absorbed cannot, they don't possess the ability to do that. In other words, they want you to put yourself in their position, not the other way around. They hide their insecurities behind a cloak, a, 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 a false cloak or sense of smile and joy. Number 10, they devalue others. In other words, they may not do it in public or they might not do it out loud, but they do it in their own mind. They, they, they criticize them. They, they, they wonder why they are succeeding and they are not, and they're constantly playing that game of comparing themselves one to another. They can be arrogant at times, proud at times, number 12. Number 13, they hide who they really are. They're afraid to bear their real soul uh, because they are self-absorbed. They're extremely selfish, 14. In other words, every human is selfish to some degree, but they, they are obsessed with it always being about them. They'll turn it to be about them. They think, number 15, that they are great and the world out there is wrong. In other words, I'm right, the world is wrong. In other words, how could I be going through this? How could I be facing this? Because I am such a great person. Okay? Self-absorbed. This is contrary to Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, beginning uh, uh, around verse 1, which says, And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And, they, and he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, uh, and do not have two tunics. And whatever, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave uh, that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing, I love this phrase, everywhere, everywhere. Imagine that. You're with Jesus. You've witnessed these great miracles. You've seen these great signs. You've seen these great wonders. And then all of a sudden, God gives you the ability. He says, I'm going to give you the authority over demons, over evil spirits, and I'm going to give you the power to go and to heal the sick. And the Bible says, he gives them some instructions. He says, take no money, take no bag, take, uh, you know, uh, and he says, take, don't take two tunics. Why did he say take two, don't take two tunics? Two, two tunics was a sign of wealth. Okay? Average person didn't own two tunics. And so when they went into this world, they went out, and the Bible says they went, and can you imagine if, okay, imagine Jesus appears in this room and says, I've given every one of y'all power over every demon. Whose house would you visit when you leave? Some of y'all got your hand on your spouse. No, 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 no. (laughs) I give you a power over every demon. I give you the power to heal the sick. How many of you would make a trip to Floyd Medical Center right now till they kicked you out? Walking from every room. How many of you would stop by the nursing home? Come on. Or, or how many would say, oh, first thing I'm going to do is say, God, heal me. What are you saying, pastor? What I'm saying is these folks, they received this power, they went out, and the Bible says they just began to do it. 
God told them they could. They didn't doubt it. They went and they did it. They said everywhere. They began to heal everywhere. Every village. Every town. They began. It was, it was almost, you know, hey, I've got this power. I'm not going to hold it in. And they went and they did what God had called them to do. And so they healed everywhere, the Bible says. Now, Herod hears about it. I'm not going to read these verses through, through verses 7 uh, through 9. Herod hear, hears about it, and all of a sudden he begins to wonder, has Elijah come again? Oh, I wonder if this is what the prophets were talking about. I wonder what is happening because it, it was... Look, you don't hide something like that. And I'm going to tell you right now, God is sending real revival to harvest, and if you think we can keep it to yourselves, you are mistaken. It was never to be about ourselves. It's about God bringing it out into this world to the hurting and the dying. So don't just think it's about being in here. I love when I go to church because that's the only time I feel God. Something's wrong then. Something's wrong in our relationship if it's the only time you feel God. The world will always try to reason out what God is doing. The world will always try to label with the flesh what God is doing, and that's what Herod did. Then verse 10 picks up and it says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew, the, uh, withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida, where the, where the crowds learned, when the crowds learned of it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who were in need of healing. Must have been beautiful. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to, the, to go into the surrounding villages and the court side, countryside to find lodging and to get provisions. For we are here in a desolate place. A desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. Now I want to tell you something. It is my belief that the disciples have become very self-absorbed with their newfound authority and their newfound power. And I'm going to tell you, after a while, if we're not careful, when God begins to use us, this is a caution. I want you to hear me. When God begins to use us, if we're not careful, we'll begin to forget who it's all about and we'll begin to think it's all us. There are many, many ministers today under great criticism in this world, but I'm going to tell you something. They never started out that way. Somewhere they started out on their face in a private room before God, begging God, if you can use anything, God, please use me. And somewhere when God started to use them, the flesh began to take over and they began to take spiritual selfies. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished for God. Look at how many souls are saved under my ministry. Look at how many people have been healed under my ministry to the point that Jesus fades into the, to the fabric and it's all about their name and it's all about their fame. I've got news to you. If you've been touched in this church, if you've been healed in this church, if God has done anything in this church. It wasn't Harvest Worship Center that saved you. It wasn't Harvest Worship Center that healed you. It wasn't Pastor Phil that did those things. It was Jesus, the Son of God, and to God be the glory for His Son. His Son. Oh, let's give Jesus some honor today. Let's give Him some praise today. The day it come, becomes about self is the day that God will slowly begin to withdraw His presence. You hear me? And without His presence, all it is is show. Without His presence, all it is is a gimmick. All it is is about 
the individual or the institution and it never becomes, oh God, help us. Paul would say it this way to the Corinthian church. He would say, did Paul die for you? Did Apollos bleed? Did these great men that God sent your way, did they do all this? No, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. He would refocus the church on what really mattered. And this morning I'm trying to refocus the church, not the building. You're the church. If you're sitting here in this building, you're the church. And I'm trying to refocus us that God's ready to do great things, but He will not share His glory with a church name. He will not share His glory with a pastor. He will not share His glory with us. It is going to be about His name, His fame, His power, His glory. And the more we lift Him up, the more people He'll draw into His presence, the more people that will be set free from addiction, the more people that will be set free from sexual sin, the more people that God will begin to deliver out of bondage. And I'm here to tell you who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm ready to see God do that kind of work in our county. I love it. They get back from their little trip and Jesus just starts withdrawing. And the disciples, I think, were so pumped up on what they had seen and done They're just jabbering away about what they're doing. Oh, let me tell you about this lame man. and uh, uh, Lord, let me tell you about this lame man over in Bethlehem. Lord, Lord, that's nothing. Wait wait till you hear, God, what God did. Uh, What what, what happened when we prayed for this man with leprosy outside of Nazareth? And they're just talking away and telling. I believe that you think they just walked around like this? Yes, Lord. No, they had seen some miraculous things. They had seen some awesome things. And just like you and I, we had, they wanted to talk about it. And while they're jabbering away about what God is doing, the Son of God is leading them away. And the Bible says they end up in a desolate place. An isolated place. Far away from villages, far away from cities. They're in a desolate place. The people hear about it, of course. They wanted to follow Jesus So they followed him out there and Jesus had compassion on them. Don't you love it? And he begins to minister to them and heal them and talk to them about the kingdom of God. And then the evening hour comes. Now I'm going to tell you, when God has used you greatly, you can get a feel good about yourself. And I think the disciples were there. And all of a sudden, don't you love it? When you get to that place, God loves you enough to give you a task that you cannot perform. So they look and they, with their wisdom, say, Lord, it's getting nighttime. We might want to send this crowd away so that they can find lodging and eat. And Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. All of a sudden, I believe you could hear hear a pin drop because they are given a task they cannot deal with. They ought to be thanking God for that task because it refocused them on where the power came from. It refocused them on who they were dependent upon. And they realized without Him, they are nothing but talk. Are you hearing me, church? 
So here they are in the desolate place with a multitude of people. And we love the story because here we have the, the loaves and the, and the fish and God blesses it, breaks it, multiplies it, gives it to the people. And they, the Bible says they took up 12 baskets of the remaining fragments, one for each apostle. I want you to think about that. What was he telling them? through those 12 baskets. Remember the, 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 the other multitude, they took up, what, seven baskets. God's saying something in those things. You, you think there's a reason it's included in the story. What's he saying? When, I, when, when the source is Jesus, I want you to hear me today. When He is our source and He receives the recognition, the praise, the glory, the, the, the honor, I'm going to tell you, He won't just bless to fill. He'll give the overflow. And I'm here to tell you, He will always have something left over. There will always be a remainder. God is wanting us not to just get by. He's wanting there to be a remainder of His Spirit so that when we're blessed in this place and God moves in this place, we still have something to carry out to those who didn't attend. Yes. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. You just you have to think on that. Maybe write a note. God will deal with you later on it. This world is a desolate place. Mm. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. Like I said, they were, they were tore up over that. Verse 18 says, and now it happened that he was praying alone and his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, that others say Elijah. By the way, that rumor was started through Herod. Go back and read and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. Now, John's account, I think it is John's account, he says, For thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus elaborates by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven, and upon this rock I will build my church. I want to spend just a moment in that verse. What was Jesus saying? He's saying, number one, you can't see who I really am without the Spirit. Come on. You can hear about Jesus all day long. Unless the Spirit opens your eyes, you'll never need him. You'll never want him. Okay? There's people that know the story of Jesus but have never responded to the story because the Spirit has not spoken to them. Come on, church. In other words, what are you saying, Pastor? In 2020, we need to be so focused on Him and not ourselves that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is speaking through us when we share the words of Jesus. We need the anointing of the Spirit. And so the Bible says that they had this great revelation, all of a sudden Peter does, and he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, my Father which is in heaven, and upon this rock. What rock? Peter? No, Peter ain't strong enough for the church to be built upon. It was the revelation of who Jesus really was. I want to submit something to you. He is not just a story. He is not just a mother goose rhyme. He is not just some fable that has been made up. Jesus was real. Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago. He was born of a virgin. He grew in, in, in the Bible says, in, in stature, in virtue. And when he came of age 12, he went and presented himself to the priest. He began to teach in the synagogues. His parents got upset because they thought he was with him. Come back, kind of rebuke him. He says, what to them? Didn't you know where I'd be? I'd be about my father's business so at age 12 he was fully aware of who he was come on church 
It wasn't mom and dad saying, this is who you are. Now you're the son of God. You were born of... No, all of a sudden, he began to become, in stature and in knowledge, he began, God began to reveal... Amen. And so at age 12, he presents himself so he is fully aware of his identity at this time. Bible says he goes back to Nazareth and for the next few years, he will spend his time in Nazareth working in dad's shop, being a normal person and a normal guy in a normal town. But then somewhere along the line, Joseph falls off the story. Most people believe Joseph died. He perished, so Jesus helped raise his, his brothers and sisters and, 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 and helped his mom. And, and more than likely, the Bible says he, is, he, he, he was the son of the carpenter, so he inherited the family business. But there came a day when he dusted off the, saw, the, the sawdust off the tables and he cleaned up the shop. He walked out of the shop, he locked the door, he walked to the local synagogue, he pulls out the scrolls of Isaiah, he reads the, 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 the scroll of the suffering servant and says, this day this scripture has been fulfilled in your ears, the Messiah has come is what he was saying. He's standing right before you is what he was saying and he began his public ministry. And for three years he preached and he taught and he healed and he delivered those who were sick and in bondage. He cast out demons and hell trembled and hell shook and then hell thought it got the upper hand because he was delivered over to the religious Listen to me, I'm telling you the gospel in a really quick time. He was delivered over to the religious, the religious took him and gave him to the Romans, the Romans gave him back to the, to the, the, the uh, politics of the day, the politics of the day gave him back to the Romans, and finally Pilate, not knowing what to do, but fearful of his own position because they threatened to report him to Caesar, has him flogged and has him crucified, and then he is taken after being begged, the body begged, he is taken from the cross, he's laid in a borrowed tomb, and then on the third day, some ladies decided they needed to go and take care of the body, and they got there early in the morning, and all of a sudden there was an angel sitting on the stone that had been rolled away, and said, why do you seek the living among the dead? This Jesus who came, born of a virgin, and did all those great miracles, died on the cross, went down to hell, took the keys, the death, hell, and the grave come out of the tomb and I'm here to tell you he's alive today and is coming soon. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what the word gospel means. So what are you saying, pastor? What I'm saying to you is simply this. This same Jesus that empowered the church then is the same Jesus that empowers us today. And what you've got to do is you've got to get a fresh revelation of who he is and quit worrying about who you are. Oh. Some of us would find deliverance if we quit being so focused on our problems, our troubles, our trials, our difficulties, and begin to realize greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. I have the spirit of God in me. Jesus is in my life. Why do I have to fear? Mm. I don't know. What if I go to the doctor and he tells me I'm going to die? You just get to see Jesus quicker than me. When are we going to get to the point where we're envious of that? Mm. But Peter had a revelation of who he was. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I look and I see the gates of hell wiping out a lot of churches. And one may look when I read that scripture and say, see, that was false because the gates of hell are wiping out a lot of churches. That's because a lot of churches don't have a revelation of who he is and they didn't build on who he is, they built on who they were. 
or who a ministry was instead of building, building look, don't build no church on me. It will fail because I'm sand. Are you hearing me? Don't build it on good music. Don't build it on, that's sand, my friend. What you build a church on is a revelation of who he is because I'm gonna tell you, when things get rough and things get hard, you, you, you can come to me and I'll pray for you, but there's something powerful when you're able to walk into the gates, oh my goodness, when you're able to walk into the presence of the living God to go beyond the veil to the very throne room of the living God and say, here I am, who I are you? I'm your son, bought by the blood of Jesus. I need you, Father. There's something powerful about that. And I'm glad that I've got people I can call on to pray for me. But boy, there's something powerful when I can go into the presence of the one who died for me and begin to pray. Oh my goodness. I feel like preaching. Hmm. Bible says, verse 21, and he strictly charged them, commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, everybody ready? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. I want you to think about that. Will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You ready? That is not a selfie mentality. He's refocusing his church. You hear me? He gives them a task impossible for them to do outside of his help. Because guess what? All the tasks they had performed up to this point was impossible outside of his help. But I think when they didn't have his presence there and they actually saw him do the miracles, somewhere it spoke to self. He refocuses them through that act of feed them. I don't have nothing here. What do we have? It blesses it, breaks it. They give it to the people. The people are fed. There's an overflow of 12 baskets. Now he says to them, who do people say that I am? They have this great revelation. Then he goes a step further. It's bad enough when he says, <laughs> when, he, when he points out, hey, you, this is something, you, you're helpless without me. But he goes a step further. He says, if any man would come after me, he must first do what? Deny himself. That goes against all human nature. Amen? That goes against every bit of our human nature to deny ourselves. To see beyond our pain, our difficulty, our problem, and begin to minister to somebody else's goes all the way against everything that is in us because we are a selfie-consumed generation. We are. 98 million photos a year. That's a staggering number of ourselves. Well, what do you want me to do, Pastor? Just start taking pictures of people randomly in Walmart? No, you might go to jail. <laughs> Don't do that. 
What I want you to do is begin to realize that it's not about us and the world does not revolve around us. And look, I may have problems and I may have difficulties, but my Jesus died on the cross for me and I have found that when I begin to pray for somebody else, a lot of times and most of the time, I begin to find deliverance in my own self of the things that I'm going through. When you begin to see somebody else above your problem, God will begin to minister to what's going on in you. But when you're so consumed with yourself, you can't see what others suffer with. You can't feel what others are going through. Amen? I have witnessed the weakening of the power of the church all my life. I have. And you know why the church's power is weak? Because we forgot where it came from. Mm. God does not perform miracles for our amazement or amusement. He performs miracles so that the unbelievers might believe. Hear me, church. So that the unbelievers might believe and that the believers might testify of his glory and his grace and his goodness, not be blown away with it. Amen? Oh, if I could just see Jesus do what he did back then, why? Do you not have faith in him now? No, no, I want to see him do it because I know he can. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to see those things too. But God wants to do those things, not that he can prop up somebody, or some ministry. He wants to do those things so that he might receive the glory and the honor and that a lost and dying world might know that he still sets people free. If anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself. Right there and then, if I had been an apostle, I probably would have went, here, can't do it. Can't do it. Anybody got siblings? Anybody ever had a, a, something they had to split with a sibling and you were the one that got to cut it? <laughs> Anyone ever had a bitter argument over their half is bigger than my half? <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Self. Self. To be truly selfless in a selfie world is a difficult task. And guess what? Don't think that the 98 million selfies points to any more. We're in no worse shape than the generation Jesus ministered to. Because they were self-absorbed as well. But there is something powerful. God help me finish this right. When God sets us free of ourselves, and there's only one way for that to happen. If any man should come after me, let him first deny himself. Take up his cross. Oh gosh, help me Lord. Take up my cross. I did that when I was saved. When I was eight years old, I got saved. If you've heard my story between my mom and dad, 
and I took up my cross, and I'm good to go, and it would be great if Jesus had said, take it up, and you're good to go, but he didn't say that. He said, take it up daily. Later on, Paul would, I think, elaborate on those words where he would say, I die daily. Every day I have to die to myself or I will do what self wants to do. Every day I have to commit that spiritual act of crucifixion of my own life. And he would pin these words that are so beautiful. He says, I die daily. And he goes, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ Jesus in me. For when self is out of the way, Jesus is free to move and breathe and work through my life. And I'm here to tell you, God's ready to work and move through the church again but we have a place to be and that's the cross some of us need to get him off it so we can get on it that's not popular I know build us up pep rally time never been a good cheerleader never never been a good one Some of y'all are good at it. I'm not. But I want you to hear what I'm saying as we get ready to wrap this up. This is not just said. It's not something easily said and, and it's done. This is a process of daily giving my will over to the will of God. And my friend, that's a struggle. Maybe it's not for you. It is for me. Because I want what I want. I want to see what I want to see. I want to do what I want to do. How many of you like to be told what to do? Really? Nobody? One person likes to be told what to do. You can come see me anytime. I love to tell you what to do. Seriously. It's not an enjoyable thing. How many likes to be told what to do when you're in the process of doing it? (laughs) I was looking at something fly over there. Will you get that laundry basket in? I'm carrying it through the house. No, none of us enjoy that. But who realizes in this world you're going to find that you got to answer to somebody sometime, all the time, somewhere. You work a job, you're going to answer to somebody. You go to school, you're going to answer to somebody. You live life, you're in a marriage, you're going to answer to somebody. You're going to answer to somebody in this world. But when you are answering to yourself and not God, not Christ... You might as well be answering to Satan. Because outside of the cross, this flesh is fully manipulated by him. Without Jesus, my flesh will do what it needs to gratify itself. But it's kind of hard for my flesh to get what it wants when it's stretched out on a cross. Paul said, I die. Jesus said, 
this must become a daily thing. Self-denial and picking up the cross. And my friend, it's not a popular thing. This kind of gospel is not a popular gospel. But this kind of gospel unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things when the Holy Spirit knows that the church is going to recognize where it comes from and acknowledge it and give glory to the one who gave it. When I am on the cross and Jesus is living my life, no longer am I focused on myself, but I can see the needs of others over my own. Years ago, I had a, a very serious need. I was praying and I was doing a revival way before me and Tina were together. Only God knew what I had need of. But it was a serious need. And I can remember, I, I, I remember the prayer riding into this little town. God, this thing's overpowering my mind right now. And I am fixing to drive in the door and walk from this car to a pulpit to preach to these people who are needing something from you. And I can't do it because it's just going to be full of the flesh if something doesn't happen. And the Lord brought this scripture to mind and said, now and in this car, before you ever pull into that driveway, you need to give over to me and be crucified right now. And I began to pray that prayer. And when I prayed that prayer, all of a sudden, it was one of the most painful things. I said, God, I'm just giving over. I want to see others needs above my own and Lord I can't do that if I'm alive and so I remember that it was just a, a very very powerful moment I walked from there and I went into that church and there was someone who came forward and they had a need a very serious need and I began to pray for them and I mean I began to pray and God began to come through and we knew God was coming through and, and God was breaking through and I can't go into a lot of the details of what they were praying for but then all of a sudden it was amazing because I went back and I was just rejoicing over what God had done in this individual's life that night and I got back to the pastor's house and I'm going to tell you the phone rings and I wasn't even thinking about it and it was, it was a, a phone call from the situation and, and I, I pick it up and I, I say hey what's going on I had forgotten all about my own problem I, I was just rejoicing over the answer this person had gotten all of a sudden I realized when they began to talk God had come through for me and all of a sudden my need had been met while I was putting somebody else's need before my own are you following me today but it's daily if we're going to stay focused in 2020, if we're going to truly see revival in 2020, my challenge right now is for those who are willing to deny themselves and pick up their cross. Now look, you can do that now, but this is an ongoing challenge. You're going to have to do it tomorrow. You're going to have to do it the next day. And guess what? I found I have to do it multiple times a day sometimes because I'll pick it up and I'll walk out the door and I'll get hit with a situation and I don't even realize it, but I've thrown my cross down and I've done walked on into it and I'm going to deal with this thing and, and I'm making a bigger mess out of it, anybody. And all of a sudden I look back and the Lord's saying, hey, over here, you left something, Phil. Oh, yeah. 
I didn't tell you to carry it. I told you to get on it. Selfie has to die, church. Once again, we thank you for worshiping with us today. We would love to hear from you. If you were touched in any way by today's message, please let us know. You can find out more about us and even support our ministry with an offering at tryhwc.com. Thank you again for listening and worship.